0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Citizen Path. It's a new way to prepare US immigration forms. It's an online service that makes it easy to prepare and file USCIS applications and petitions. Believe me, as a nationalized citizen, I know the hassle. Citizen Path gives you instant alerts. If there's a problem, the service even provides a guarantee. Yes, a guarantee that USCIS will approve the form. Citizen Path was designed by immigration attorneys, but it's significantly less expensive than an attorney. And here's the fun part. Immigrantly listeners can use coupon code Immigrantly to save 15%. You can visit their website at citizenpath.com. Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move. Stay ready for anything from the streets to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators as a frequent traveler, I'm always looking for great bags, and DB meets a lot of my needs. We at Immigrantly are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners, our Immigrantly listeners, 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10. And I repeat, POD10, or going to the link in our show notes. TV. It's time to move on, time to get going.
1: They say Sufis are travellers, while Shias are those who remember. Well, I'm a product of both worlds, basking in the mercy of my creator. I'm in a league of resistance and my prime target is myself. I resist the inner self like I'm running away from hell. Not running away from battle, but I'm running away from myself. Trying to know myself so I can go to war with my lusts and hell. I've lost many a battle, but I just get back up charred and battered, like Logan I fear love but my skin still comes out healed and better. I regenerate generational trauma, torturing me like karma, a train of dead bodies crossing the border. I shudder, I wither, but I refuse to be bitter because I'm above that. I'm above that.
0: Hey Immigrantly listeners, what you just heard there was Nuri Sridhar reciting his poem, Believer, a reflection on faith and struggle. We'll play the rest at the end of this episode, so stay until the end. But I wanted to give you a little taste of today's interview, which I am so excited to air. I mean, the conviction in Nuri's voice, the painting he draws with his words, all of that gave me chills. Our special guest today, as you must have guessed by now, is Nuri Sardar. He is a Muslim poet, filmmaker, podcast co host of 786 Boulevard. But at a more fundamental level, he stands as a change agent in the intersection of religion and social justice. He's someone bringing creative light to these two themes, or if you will, disciplines. His work is so fascinating and I cannot wait for you to meet him. So let's get started. So thank you so much for coming on Immigrantly. You and I are both podcasters, among other things, right?
2: Correct, yeah. I think I think everyone who's a podcaster is a podcaster amongst other things. <laughs> uh, very, very
1: few lucky people are podcasters full-time. <laughs>
0: you know what? I am trying to do that. I'm trying to do podcasting full-time. I'm trying to grow this as a platform. More than just a podcast, but it takes a lot of work and effort. But let's 100%. talk about you. What really inspires me about your work is this unique, spiritual and artistic focus that you have Nuri like you've both written and spoken poetry reflecting on the prophet Muhammad and also more human themes of suffering hope um, and even social justice how did you get into this work I am just curious to know what your journey has been so far
2: Sure. So I think like, you know, so many of us, um, I've always been quite a spiritual person, I would say. Uh, growing up, you know, my mom, I have vivid memories of my mother uh, taking me to dhikr sessions, uh, you know, dhikr Sufi sessions. Mm. And, uh, you know, my father was a follower of, uh, is a follower of Sheikh Nazim Haggani. So Sufism and I guess generally spirituality was very uh, prevalent uh, in my family. And growing up, I always had this kind of energy this kind of yearning to, to, to look out there and, and reflect on myself and reflect on my faith and i think that you know like many people i always wanted a way to express that i was always looking for a way to let go of this massive energy that i have inside me which is the energy of you know the love of the prophet and the Ahl-Bayt, the love of islam the love of god and, and spirituality um and despite the fact that i grew up you know hating poetry um mm. but loving listening to poetry that we have back home particularly in arabic and urdu um, i always wanted to find a way to express myself in that so being someone who didn't speak urdu uh pretty much at all whose arabic wasn't very good i decided to start writing in english huh. when i first started my poetry really kind of uh, was specific to the prophet muhammad and his family you know which is a kind of poetry that's that's very deeply intertwined in the heritage of shiism and just generally in islam as well and growing up you know uh, as i got older as i started exploring my spirituality and exploring the world um, the only way i could kind of knew how to express myself and then deal with you know what i saw around me be it the social injustices that we have the spiritual uh uh, hunger had inside me was through poetry Hmm. um so essentially it it was less of you know a hobby and something i was interested in doing and it became more of really just something that i felt i had to do in order to express myself and essentially worship god uh, in the way that i know how which is to to write poetry
0: that's so fascinating Now you've mentioned spirituality and I see people using terms spirituality and religion interchangeably sometimes. Do you think they are interconnected, they are overlapping or do you see them as two distinct terms with different specific meanings? Like is there an all-encompassing word for one's belief system or how, how do we distinguish between the two
2: that's a very uh very good question um i think that what i've kind of discovered uh, in my own kind of you know journeys and reflections is that everyone's spiritual slash religious path is kind of specific to them and their own mm-hmm. experiences um so i think that you know some people um you know might uh, lean more toward quote unquote spirituality than uh, quote unquote organized religion um me personally i uh, I I definitely feel the two are heavily intertwined. Um, You know, uh, I think spirituality is 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 more of a cooler word, uh, if I if I can say that. Um, People who (laughs) don't really want to be associated with religion. Say, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, and I think that uh, that 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 is quite interesting. And for me, definitely, the two are very, uh, very intertwined. You know, my my spirituality is my religion, and my religion is my spirituality. They 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 they're so heavily interconnected that you can't really separate the two. And I think that is the, the same for many people, particularly in the Muslim community, I would say, uh, and especially here in the West. But again, like the way we approach the two subjects is very dependent on our own kind of experiences and our own kind of uh, journeys as Muslims, uh, as people who are exploring spirituality and trying to connect to either God or Allah or even a, a sense of higher purpose, something greater than ourselves, right? Huh. Um, so that's definitely the way I would kind of uh, perceive it and, and look at it.
0: So let's talk about religion in general, um, specifically organized religion. It's funny to me sometimes because in this more global society and economy where science is at the forefront of a lot of decisions that we take, I've noticed that initially people gravitated towards atheism and in a way more practical modes of thought, right? And this is all observational, by the way. I don't have any statistical evidence to prove this. But recently I've seen that there has been this re-emergence of spiritual inquiry. And I wonder if it's because people are looking for answers that cannot be answered in full in this complicated world of ours, right? Um, Science doesn't have all the answers. So... For you, what has been the most important and grounding aspect of Islam in that sense? And do you think science and faith are mutually exclusive?
2: That's a very good question. I mean, I think uh, even if you look uh, Islamically, um, you know, there is this idea of the fitra, the idea of the deep inner self. And from my understanding of Islam, uh, all of our fitras, regardless of where we're from, are wide the same way in that we're continuously searching for for God, continuously trying to reach back to God. Um, and I think what you're describing uh, in my own kind of observations, uh, again, like, you know, this is all observational, mm. like you said, um, is that people are searching for a sense of something higher than themselves. So even atheists, you know, I think looking at atheism, um, it's still uh, an acceptance of something, of an of an ideology higher than oneself, right? So, you know, it's not obviously, uh, you know, they're obviously rejecting uh, God, but it's still an acceptance of something higher than oneself. And I think that's what people in our society uh, are really striving toward, especially in the West, which I feel is is has become... And is moving toward in many ways a very godless society um so in exchange of you know the word uh allah or god people are like oh you know i'm surrendering to a higher purpose or i'm surrendering mm. to uh fate or i'm surrendering to good vibes positive vibes you know i think i think all of it is is, is really just a, uh in, in my opinion um the fitrah trying to return to god uh, and, and i think people you know uh connect to that in in, in their own kind of uh, ways uh, for me, like I said, it's all very connected. I do not believe um, that the worlds of science and religion. And again, I'm just I'm not like a scholar or someone who's extremely learned on the topic. Um, but from my own um, you know uh, observations and, and experiences, I do not believe that science and Islam are two things that are at odds uh, with each other. I actually mm. worked on a documentary years ago with uh, a, a, a sheikh. A scholar who is actually a scientist as well, and he wrote a paper on various scientific theories um, and how they have been uh, affirmed in the Quran and in Hadith, um, which I found very interesting. So I think that you know when you really study the two, you can find that they do often complement each other, and they they're not really at odds with each other. And I think that if you look at things generally, life if you look at life generally from that perspective, I think it's a very refreshing uh, kind of mindset to have. Um, that's not a case of one or the other, rather it's a case of, you know, there's a truth in everything Mm -hmm. and it's all kind of bouncing off each other and all kind of connecting, you know, to one uh, sense of greater purpose.
0: I completely agree. And as a practicing Muslim, I believe in science like all the time, right? So when people talk about the dichotomy that exists or if they are not compatible, it does come as a surprise to me as to why people of faith cannot believe in science. But we see that a lot happening, right? There is a lot of polarization. Do you think that's because religion has been politicized to the point where it's less of a spiritual or individual journey and more of a collective assertion of dominance?
2: I definitely uh, feel uh, that that is the case, uh, you know, for, for many um, circles. And again, uh, just a, a caveat, this is all observational, um, you know, based on my own experiences. I do believe that, you know, you have that kind of sentiment. And it's not something that's limited to religion. I feel like, you know, tribalism generally is something that we all kind of fall, it's, it's a trap that we all fall into. So mm-hmm. whether we're, for example, Sunni or Shia, or we're Muslim against atheist or Christian against Jewish, you know, um, we all kind of surrender to um, our, our own identities. and And, and we kind of, make it a very tribal thing and I think when you have that kind of mentality it is very antithetical and it's, it is very uh, unhelpful. So yes, I, I would agree with you there. I don't think it's specific to religion. And I think that what happens as a result is that people who are interested in religion, you know, when they see uh, people who claim to represent religion or preach religion, hmm. acting in a way where they're, 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 there's a sense of uh, superiority complex there, where they're talking down to you as opposed to, uh, you know, talking to you in a, in, a, in a brother-to-brother kind of way, which many, you know, uh, folks, unfortunately, who claim to represent religion do. Um, and it's uh, it, it, it's very damaging I would say to people who are looking for who are interested in religion, who are interested in understanding religion and I think that to really um, kind of overcome that, what we need to do is accept the fact that we're in a world where all of us uh, are here together, You know, mm. looking for a sense of truth, um, looking for a sense of, of, of beauty and goodness. Um, and I think the sooner we accept that, the sooner we can come, unite on, on an understanding, or not even unite, but just appreciate each other's perspectives. Um, and I think that if you approach religion or life generally from a perspective of, hey, I'm here to appreciate other people's perspectives, when you have that mentality, it's much more... Constructive, it's much more refreshing. But when it's a sense of, oh, I have the true religion, yeah. and you know, I'm the one who's preaching it, and you have to listen to me, um, which unfortunately so many uh, people uh, in our society have. Um, and again, it's not limited to religion, but it, it, you know it is quite prevalent uh, in uh, religion in, in Islamic circle specifically. Um, I think it's very damaging um, and, and it pushes people away.
0: So here's the thing. I don't believe in preaching religion. Do you think that's blasphemous? If I were to say I am nobody to preach religion to anyone else because my understanding is limited to my own lived experiences, right? Do you think people should not be preaching religion at all? Or if they do, how do they add nuance to it?
2: I mean, I would argue that we're all preaching uh, what we believe in. You know, we're all preaching religion, but it might not be overt, it might not be uh, you know, we're not. It might not be us standing on the side of the street handing out leaflets about Islam. It yeah. might just be the fact that, hey, when you go to the grocery, you just, you know, you say, thank you, you open doors to people, um, you say, hello, how are you? You know, you're interested in people, you ask about your neighbor. Uh, I think all these good traits that we have in us, and just generally the lifestyles that we live, are essentially preaching what we believe in, you know, what we feel like we are associated to. Especially, I think I feel as Muslims. Um, there's a really nice hadith by uh, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, which I don't want to misquote. Um, but he says something along the lines of, uh, you know, preach with your character, preach with your your mm. good manners. Um, and I feel like that that's what's very attractive. So I feel like people approach preaching religion in very different ways. I would definitely agree with you in that. You know, I I don't feel like um, I'm not the kind of person that would preach religion in a kind of way where you know, uh, I'll take someone aside and say, hey, you know, this is what I I, I believe and try to force them to believe what I believe. I, I'm very much along the lines of thinking of I have my character and if people feel that that can help them in their life, then great. If they, if they feel it doesn't, then that's completely fine as well. Um, mm. And I'm definitely in the more kind of um, intrigued mindset these days where I'm just interested in what people believe interested in what people uh what, what, what people's perceptions are other than my own um and I personally find that having that mentality often strengthens my own beliefs so you know recently what I do is I've been traveling a lot and whenever I go to a, a different state in America or a different town I try to reach out to you know anyone who might have on my Twitter or, or my contacts um who might who see the world completely different to me and say hey let's meet up let's have a coffee ah. uh, let's chat and 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 what what I find is that you know I interact with people who see things on a completely different spectrum to me but I find my own, personally, I find my own faith is strengthened. Um, there's a line that I wrote in one of my poems recently which is that my religion is internal because my internal is eternal.
1: Huh. Um,
2: and the reason I wrote that line is because I, again, this is a very personal thing, personal to me, not everyone you know, will share the same experience, but I found that as I grew older, the less I was overt about my religion because I realized that when you were younger, you know, as we all know, when you're young, especially uh, th- those who are religious might might, might kind of uh, share this kind of experience. When you're young, you know, you're in the playground. The first thing you want to do is be as uh, overt as you can, as expressive as you can about your religion, about your faith. Yeah. You know, you, know, you want to debate everyone about your faith. You want to <laughs> tell everyone, hey, I'm a Muslim. This is what I believe. And you realize ultimately, as in, I, I, I guess, in, in my own personal journey, for sure, that it's often not coming from a place of, of spiritualness. It's not, it's not coming from a place of goodness. It's coming from a place of insecurity. And I find that also a lot of preachers fall under the same trap where you're not really preaching, uh, going back to the last question, you're not really preaching from a place of spiritualness and goodness, rather you're preaching from a place of your old kind of unresolved insecurities. and And that's very damaging. On the flip side, even though I'm less overt about my religion, personally, I feel like my faith is stronger. You know, I feel like, you know, whatever happens in my life, I'm, I'm very accepting of it. You know, I feel like at home, behind closed doors, I worship a lot more than I did when I was very overt about it. So I, I would definitely agree with you on that. Um, and I feel like, you know, um, preaching religion or dawah is a whole conversation in itself. Um, <laughs> but I do personally think that, you know, just by being good, you know, you're, you're already by default preaching what you believe in. Because you're representative of your faith or of your ideology, right?
0: That's so profound, and that's so important. Nuri, I want to circle back to what you said about meeting other people who may not share your religious ideology. What kind of experience did you have? Is there one experience or one meetup that really stands out to you, that you really enjoyed, or wasn't pleasant at all?
2: Uh, to be honest with you, I think every every meeting you know uh, i have uh, i enjoy you know even speaking to you it's it's, it's something i'm enjoying right now just because i feel like you know life for me is definitely a journey of growth uh, and everything that happens every person i meet is an opportunity for for growth uh you know both spiritually and in terms of your own mindset um just sitting down uh sadia and, and and having a conversation with someone having a having having a cup of tea with someone having a coffee with someone um you're already breaking those boundaries you know i heard something really profound from one of our guests on our own podcast who she's a she's a food uh, she's a food reporter uh, and she was saying in her own way to battle racism what she does is you know uh, kind of has food with uh islamophobes um and, ah. and then what happens there is that you know when you're islamophobic or you're kind of you know uh, anti-muslim the real issue is 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 that you haven't uh, met a muslim you haven't sat down and, and broken bread with a muslim when you Sit face to face with a Muslim, you know, you're automatically breaking uh, those stereotypes in front of you. You're breaking those kind of preconceived um, those 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 preconceived attitudes that you had uh, toward that demographic. Um, so I think generally that's what I've found when when you meet people, you realize in front of you, it's not you know a Twitter profile. It's not someone who you're having a back and forth with online. Uh, it's flesh, bone, and spirit. It's thirty plus years of experience and and story, just like you have. Um, and I think just that, um, you know really opens your mind uh, and, and helps you uh, appreciate other people and other people's perspectives.
0: Let's talk about Islam. Both of us are practicing Muslims, but there is this misconception that follows about Islam, which is basically orthodoxy and oppression, which is far from true and ordinary you and I know this religion is extremely multidimensional. And mm-hmm. even when you focus on one type of religion, you still have a myriad of beliefs and practices within, right? You and I probably practice Islam very differently. How mm-hmm. have you used your platform to add more nuance? Islam specifically, and you've talked about it a little in the beginning, but can you elaborate on it a little more?
2: Sure, Uh, that's a very deep uh, uh, question. Um, What I would say is that, um, again, I think you know, when it comes to my art and my poetry, the older the poetry is essentially a reflection of the self, right? So, every poet. Uh, or every musician or every storyteller will always write to what they know. And it's a a reflection of who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I as I continuously grow on the spiritual journey, uh, as as my perspectives grow, my poetry will always continuously reflect that. Um, And I think that I definitely came to a point a few years ago where I was like, um, you know, okay, what are you offering uh, the wider world? Because my poetry, a lot of it was very specific and I'm very proud of it. It was very specific to uh, the Shia community. Um, like I said, you know the Shia community has a great, uh, beautiful, deep heritage when it comes to poetry about the Ahlul Bayt, about the love of the Ahlul Bayt, about the love of the Prophet, about Ashura uh, and Imam Hussein, uh, and you know th- th- there's a lot of uh, beautiful history there. Um, but I think the question I asked myself was, okay, you, you're doing great in this kind of field, dare I call it that,
1: mm. but
2: what are you kind of offering to people who might come across you, who aren't Shia, who aren't Muslim even? um how are you expressing you know your, your your faith and your spirituality and even your love for the prophet in, the mm. in a way that they can uh digest so personally that's when i started to branch out you know as you said in the beginning into writing poetry about uh divine love about god about the soul mm. uh, about uh, just generally social justice issues and i feel like so even uh, when it comes to social injustice it's a way that so many of us can unite because so many of us are very passionate about social injustice, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what our orientation is or what we believe in. Um, and I think I feel like that's de- definitely a big unifying factor. It's a place of, uh, it's a uniting point essentially for for so many different people of different persuasions and perspectives. Um, and you know, even that aside, it's something that I myself personally am passionate about. It's something that my religion teaches me to be passionate about. Um, so you know what what I try to do uh, is write poetry about uh, social injustice, write poetry about you know divine love and and, and and spirituality, and 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 you know things that people who might not be from my persuasion uh, are also interested in. Uh, and essentially, what happens there is you 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 reach a, a sense of common ground. I mean, of course, I'm not just doing it completely because I want to you know uh, speak to people who aren't like me. I'm also doing it because I mm-hmm. I, I want to because something inside me that I want to express, right? But I think you know just by 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 default. You then invite people to you uh, who aren't uh, uh, you know um, who, who, who might not share uh, your beliefs or might not really understand um, you know uh, poetry that i write that's very specific to a certain community
0: i want to go back to what you talked about initially Nuri. growing up um, you grew up in london and being a muslim what are your observations on islamophobia in the uk versus in the US, are there any stark differences? Because when I think about Europe in general, I feel Europe is a lot more Islamophobic, racist than the US.
2: It's funny because I think um, I get that sentiment a lot from my American friends as well. Uh, and on this side of the pond, you know, we feel like America is more Islamophobic. <laughs> um, and I think, I, th- I I think. Honestly, I think what it is is just that you know the news paints always a stark picture. Like for example, whenever I go to America, and people hear I'm from London, like, oh, you must be very cautious about knife crime, right? Because the stabbings there are, are, you know, there's a lot of stabbings going on there. And I'm like, yeah, but you have big gun crime in America, does that not affect you? Um, so I think that you know, you know, perception is a very interesting thing. Um, I would say that Islamophobia here is something that's very more undercover. I think in America, it's much more overt, it's much more obvious. Um, Here uh, in this country, um, you got to remember that there's so many Muslims, like there's so many Muslims in this country. Um, I remember a few years ago, I drove to Leicester which is a, a city about an hour and a half north of London. I spent the whole day in Leicester, and I swear to you, I did not see a single white person uh, in the whole city. Um, so the number of Muslims, uh, you know, or I guess South Asian Muslims specifically, uh, in this country, it's a huge number of, of Muslims. So you, all, it's also a very diverse place. So the area that I grew up in west london which is close to central london uh you know you hear hundreds of languages being spoken you see so many different skin colors so many different religions so many different perspectives and that diversity that that really um again like it it forces you to 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 appreciate uh, different perspectives to you and and and, and understand uh people who are different to you so you know in that sense islamophobia is much less um personally i don't think i've ever faced any islamophobia in this country um I, i i struggle to think of uh, an instance where someone was Islamophobic toward me at least overtly um, in America I've definitely faced it yeah in America I've definitely faced it more um, but there is obviously a lot of uh, Islamophobia here I think the UK much like the rest of Europe is heading toward more of a right-wing you know uh, mentality uh, and there's certain areas in the UK I would say uh, you know up north where you might not find many Muslims where people are very Islamophobic and very racist um. So there is Islamophobia. Um, I don't know if it's as prevalent uh, here as it is in uh, the US, uh, but I would say that it's much more, you know... Um it's much more hidden it it's 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 not very obvious um, you hear it uh, you know in statements for example from our from our government now and then Boris johnson always gets into trouble for the people <laughs> he says <laughs> david cameron for for example a few years ago he he casually mentioned that muslim women are traditionally submissive so we need to fight that that that, that was his as a very example for right, right? Um, exactly yeah yeah so so y- you'll hear it uh, kind of uh, very subtly in statements that might come out like that but it's not very like you know uh, Over uh, like it is in uh, in the U.S., I would say.
0: Yeah, he hasn't met my mom. If he did, he wouldn't. He would <laughs> never say that.
1: <laughs> I don't think he's met any Muslims. That's probably that's probably the issue. Any, any Muslim, right,
0: is right. Let's talk about something that's been on my mind. It's been bothering me a lot. The term Islamophobia itself. Now, the way I see it, Islamophobia means fear of Islam, right? But fear is a very irrational sentiment. So when we say somebody is afraid or has fear of Islam, are we not giving them an excuse? Um, Are we not putting onus on victims rather than the perpetrator? Shouldn't there be another term which really manifests itself in the true hatred that we see in people towards Islam?
2: I definitely agree with you. I think some, one of my friends actually said today that when we use the term Islamophobia, it sounds like a very cute thing that you might have, you know, yeah. like the same way you have a phobia of spiders or a phobia right. of, know, small holes or whatever phobias there are. Um, so it, there are a lot of connotations to that where I definitely agree with you. And I think we need to accept the fact that even the framing of our conversations, you know, needs to be uh, r- kind of, you know, uh, readdressed. I mean, going back to the last question, you know, when it comes to uh, Islamophobia in the UK, I actually forgot to mention that, for example, here we have the prevent program. Which is probably one of the most Islamophobic uh, uh, initiatives that any government, uh, at least in the West, has has uh, has done. Where essentially, you know, um, the whole idea of this program is to uh, they say to uh, tackle extremism in schools. So, for example, Mm. I know many Muslim friends who are teachers who say if they see, um, you know, uh, a child acting a certain way, being a bit more religious, maybe growing his beard or whatever, uh, they usually have to report him to prevent. That's a very Islamophobic program, right? Um, right? So I think that even the nature of Islamophobia. Needs to be uh, looked at for what it is, which is something very systemic. You know, it's not just yeah. like uh, you know, someone who walks down the street might see a Muslim woman and, and think, "Oh, that's a bit weird." That, that that's not what Islamophobia, uh, or, or what, what we think to be Islamophobia, uh, is. That that's not what the conversation around you know uh, fear. There I call it, that a Muslim should be. I think we should really look at it as uh, something very systemic. You know, uh, Muslim oppression is is very systemic, um, and essentially, you know, racism right I, th- mm. I think I think that's essentially what it is as well um mm. and I think that a lot of the conversations uh, around Muslims that we see on high levels of government are very racist um mm. you know you just again it's that it's that classic just replace the word muslim with uh jewish or christian and that conversation would never take place you know and I think that's the problem
0: talking about children nuri i have two kids um do you have kids
2: i do yeah i have one
0: so let's talk about that now typically what i've noticed is that our religious trajectory is forged by the family and culture from which we come, right? Sometimes kids will grow in opposition of it or grow with it. Is there a healthy way to raise children religious or spiritual? And where is the line when it comes to allowing them to determine their relationship with religion? Let them be who they are.
2: It's a very interesting question. Uh, I definitely say as a parent, you know, my son's too young for me to kind of... uh, you know, uh, give you the best answer for that. But I do have conversations with friends who have uh, children who are older. Mm. Um, And I think that ultimately, when children reach a certain age, there's only so much you can do. If he wants to be a certain way, you can't, you know, uh, put a gun to his head and and force him to be a certain way. Um, I think that when it comes to preaching religion, every parent... Wants the best for their child. So even forgetting about religion, you have parents who want their kids, for example, to be doctors or to be in the media or to be, uh, you know, or, or, or to embrace their artistic vision or, or whatever it may be. Um, mm. So every parent wants what's best for their child. And if the parent feels that, you know, uh, let's say for example, religion or Islam is best for their child, they're obviously naturally going to push them toward that. I think that we need to appreciate that the you know, growing up in society, you're always going to be uh, met by different perspectives and and, and, and and especially in our society, uh, a diverse range of uh, of religious perspectives, a diverse range of, of perspectives, perspectives on life generally. Hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, what I would uh, uh, lean toward is teaching him religion, but not obviously forcing anything on him uh, and making religion something beautiful to him. Um, you know, to what extent he accepts that, to what extent he accepts my interpretation of religion. Uh, I don't think that's really up to me mm. uh, or to any of us parents, um, you know, because, uh, you know, children are, are very intuitive and as they grow older, they'll always, you know, rebel <laughs> and lead toward uh, what, what, what they enjoy uh, most, um, you know, but I think uh, just, you know, uh, that's probably my uh, perception on that.
0: I am curious to know what you have planned for the rest of the year because we've seen the past year of pandemic and social unrest and there are just so many deep wounds do you think all of this will inform the next steps that you take as an artist and as an advocate
2: I think it's already happened um, and I think hmm. for me personally especially uh, during lockdown and I think a lot of people uh, would agree um, you know just speaking to, to different artists and, and, and friends and <laughs> people that I know, lockdown kind of forced all of us to sit down and really sit with ourselves because life slowed down to such an extent where, you know, I remember going outside and there was nothing there. There was no cars, you know. um, I'm sure all of us uh, kind of uh, share the same experience, especially you guys in New York. Life slowed down to to a degree we've never seen before and it forced ourselves to sit with ourselves. It forced ourselves to rethink everything. Personally, I rethought everything during lockdown, you know, I rethought Mm. Um, the way I look at life, I rethought really thought the way I look at faith, the, what I wanted to do with my life. I was employed during lockdown, uh, for example, and I actually quit my job afterwards um, ah. and uh, became a freelancer because that's something I've always wanted to do. Um, I've Even, uh, you know, the way I look at uh, my own art, you know, I think art really flourished uh, after uh, coronavirus because a lot of us were kind of like trying to deal with, uh, you know, our traumas that we hadn't realized that were there deal with, uh, you know, looking in our mirror for the, uh, for the first time and, 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 and seeing for the first time what was looking back at us. You know, I think that in moments of stillness, that's really where you discover yourself. That's really where you discover, where you discover who you really are. Um, and as you know, you know, in this very fast-paced society that we're living in, you know, everything's constantly on the move. You wake up, go to Starbucks on the way to work, grab the subway, you're at work, you go home, you're tired from work, you know, you watch a bunch of movies to, to, to relax, and then you sleep and you wake up and you do the same thing again. Coronavirus stopped all of that right so during that kind of lifestyle we weren't able to think we weren't able to reflect on ourselves and 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 our lives um after lockdown happened i was forced to sit with myself and i was uh, it was really a blessing for me obviously you know coronavirus uh, was not an easy uh, you know experience for 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 any of us you know we all lost loved ones you know we all lost friends uh, mm. it was a very scary time but the blessing that came out of it really in my opinion and definitely for me was the fact that i was forced to sit with myself and really look at myself and understand who I was. And I think once you really understand who you are, you understand where you're going. Mm. Um, one of my favorite sayings from Imam Ali, alayhi uh, salam, is when he says, um, he who knows himself knows his Lord. Mm. And I love that saying because you can never really know yourself. You can never really know your Lord, but you're continuously on a journey to understanding yourself. Mm. And you're continuously on a journey to understanding your Lord or you know your world or, or you know uh, your greater purpose and where you're going. Um, and I think that that experience of just really sitting with myself and um, you know looking at myself, I think we all have that. You know, we all have that kind of same. Um, we all had that same experience. Um, really uh, taught me to 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 redraw my life uh, and rethink where I was going. Um, so it was definitely uh, it changed everything. To be honest, not even just art. You know, my art. Uh, I would say my art definitely changed a lot and flourished. Um, but everything changed. You know, my life changed. My work changed. Family life changed. Uh, everything changed, and I think um, uh, it was all. Uh, due to having to sit down with yourself and really look at yourself.
0: Are you scared to go back to what was once normal? Because I am having a lot of social anxiety to go back to that life. And I think a lot of people are feeling that.
2: I mean, the question is, will we ever go back to that life? I think. I, mean, mm. I think that that's another question we need to ask ourselves because whether we like it or not, coronavirus changed everything. I mean, just from the very simple things to like, for example, everyone working from home now as opposed to working in offices, you know, uh, even though a lot of people, a lot of us are returning to offices and returning to our workspaces, a lot of people are now working from home. What we spend money on has changed, you know. The way we look at the world has changed. Um, so even if we return to the quote-unquote normal, you know, I, 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 I don't feel like anything will really be the same. And if... You know, I would argue that if, uh, you know, going back to the normal, quote unquote, is giving you a, a sense of, you know, a bit of anxiety, maybe it might be time to, to look at why that is and then kind of, you know, maybe restructure uh, your life to a way that suits you, which is, you know, what I'm still doing, um, but definitely something that I did because, you know, that is when I was like, hey, I don't, I don't actually want to go back to work. <laughs> you know, I don't actually want to do this. So why am I doing it? You know, and it's a very scary conversation to have with yourself because you're taking a step into the unknown. You're right. taking a step into what, something you've never uh, experienced before. Even me, personally, stepping into freelance life, I've always wanted to... I, I do videography on the side. I'm a video producer, so I do videography, video editing, stuff like that. Um, I've always wanted to become a freelancer. Um, but the biggest question was, hey, can you actually live without a salary? And, you know, uh, uh, be smart enough to organize your finances in, in such a way, uh, you know, where you're not certain of what's going to happen uh, in a month or in two months, in three months, in a year. But I think what coronavirus taught me is, hey, you can never be certain of anything. That's <laughs> because true. None of us could have been certain, uh, you know, uh, of a pandemic coming and ruining uh, and changing everything. Um, so for me, really, uh, I think it also strengthened my faith a lot in that way, because I was like, you know, tomorrow is never certain. Uh, I, I, from a very simplistic perspective, um, I was worried about not having a salary hitting my account every month. I was like, hey, you know what, if you take a step into freelancing, maybe now you can rely on God to pay you as opposed to, you know, your payroll (laughs) to pay you every month. I love it. Um, So yeah, my faith was definitely strengthened uh, in that way for sure.
0: Nuri, this was so good. Before we end, where can people find your podcast and where can they find your work? Is there a website they can go to?
2: Appreciate you, Salvia. Yeah, so our podcast is called uh, 786 Boulevard. Uh, It's basically a podcast that uh, centers conversations around art and spirituality. Um, It was a podcast that was actually born out of the coronavirus as well. So that's another thing that came out of the coronavirus. Mm. Um, If they just Google uh, 786 Boulevard, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts um, at 786 Boulevard on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And if they want to find my work, uh, they can just find me online, Instagram and Twitter at Duri Sardar, N-O-U-R-I-S-A-R-D-A-R.
0: Thank you so much, Nuri. This was wonderful.
2: Sadia, I appreciate you. Thank you so much.
0: And we'll end this interview with Nuri's spoken word. Take a listen.
1: My inner self is a marhab, and his head I'm looking to shatter because nothing matters except the mind, and they say it's mind over matter. And when I find that my mind scatters, which occurs too many a time because without such a mind I cannot bring myself to write rhymes I rush to pick up the pieces, frantically trying to figure out where the piece is taking out my compass and trying to find my bearing the weight is heavy but burdens aren't too heavy to bear in this world because I believe I can handle whatever God decides I'm capable of nothing's impossible in my mind if I can imagine it, I can do it, I can create it I can seize it, because I'm a vessel of light returning to the fight, 313 Spartans that bed are assisted by angels of light. My religion is internal because my internal is eternal, and when everything is reduced to ash, among the ash my spirit shall dwell. My soul and this world are two compounds that don't interact well, but I don't react well, I don't react well, I, I'm above reaction because my faith is about action. Call me liar in action as I am unsheathing my sword. I am Ali crouched and ready to act whenever he is ordered. I'm Ibrahim with a knife to the throat of my son. I'm Icarus only I fear not of the sun because I bow to no one. Only God has authority over myself. So I'm a soldier on the front line seeking to find and kill myself because me and myself are at war. My faith and myself are at war. Such is my faith that it is better than me. In every conceivable way stronger than anyone I know it wrestles with devils and pushes them away and maybe one day I'll have as much conviction as my faith does maybe one day I'll be as strong as my faith is because my faith is my strength and I'm my own weakness so when that veil between worlds is lifted count me among the believers Rubble out to the that.